Well, uh, you know, bless your hearts, those of you who've been in the church for a little while, a couple of years will know that we began our quest for a senior pastor uh, actually two and a half years ago. And, um, you know, it has been an adventure, and we're going to give you a glimpse through a number of voices uh, today about that, that whole adventure. Uh, but, you know, it is, uh, it's always good when God speaks. It's always good when you recognize that God has given you uh, a bit of an insight as to how this is going to unfold. And needless to say, uh, we worked as if it all depended upon us. That's the way it should be. But we prayed as if it all depended upon God, and that is the way it should be. It's a partnership. There is, we, he calls us to do our best, and we do our best, but then we look to him because he is our great God, and he is our provider, and especially when it comes to leadership. You know, it is one of those key things, and so important, and uh, as, um, you know, as, uh, as our chairman of the board said, this is probably the most important decision we've had to make in, in our 30 years, and it's probably not uh, underestimating it. Anyway, at the beginning of this year, uh, God gave us what um, we would call, what I would call, an interpretive key. Now, when I've been teaching and preaching, in fact, one of some of the other uh, guys have been teaching and preaching, occasionally we'll talk about an interpretive key. And what that usually means is there's a piece of scripture which uh, is given by the Holy Spirit uh, as a lens with which to view what comes. And it's very helpful. It's, it gives you the kind of perspective, the take on what is to come. And we were at the Vineyard National Leaders Conference back in uh, January, and my good friend Neil Woodward, who is the senior pastor of the uh, Southwest London Vineyard, came up to me, and I was so touched because he said to me, he said, we've been praying about this whole succession process. And that, I, w- I was blessed at that point. He didn't need to say anything else. Just that people outside of this uh, immediate community were praying for us. But then he said, and I believe God's given me a word for you. Well, this turned out to be the interpretive key. And the word was simply this. It was an interesting one. He, he said, you know, you may be looking for a Saul in bespoke armor. And that made me smile because, you know, the list that we had drawn up for this, th- this person had to be a, a rather better version of Superman, you know. <laughs> uh, Superman was not going to make it, you know. This is going to have to be better than Superman. And so it made me smile, you know, a little bit uh, wryly. And he said, you know, well done. There's no condemnation. Thank you for that word. No condemnation. That's what we should do. We're being diligent. But then he said, but you know what? The Lord looks at the heart of men, and he's looking for a David. And I thought, oh, wow. I mean, that, why don't we just give up and go home at that point, you know? <laughs> But anyway, that, that, I reported that back to the succession board, and, and we took that on board, and it, it gave us what it did. I think it eased the pressure a little bit. First of all, we knew that God was in this, that God had an opinion, that God was wanting to make known his choices. And that, for all of us, with our various gifts which we brought to that succession board, was a huge relief. But then, of course, uh, you know, being the type of person I am, I went straight back to the scriptures. I wanted to read about that. And I'm going to share that with you now. And uh, then we'll have various people come up to tell you parts of the story. So first of all, then, perhaps you'd like to turn with me, if you've got a Bible, uh, to 1 Samuel 16. This is the story of how God made known his choice of David. 
It'll come up on the screen, but also uh, you might use your smart devices. And if you'd like a Bible and haven't got one, I mean, I, I really mean if you haven't got one, or a modern version, please just go to the welcome desk. We would love to give you one. And uh, just, just because we honor God's word, you know, I wear Bibles out. I literally wear them out because to me, this has been my bedrock, you know, as I've sought to follow Jesus. So 1 Samuel 16, this is the story of how God chose David. So, beginning at the first verse, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? Saul was the previous king who had deeply disappointed God. How long, how long will you mourn for, for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be the king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. Then the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. And Samuel did what the Lord said, and when he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. Samuel was a pretty heavy-duty dude. They trembled when he appeared at their gates. They said, do you come in peace? And Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. He was a fine strapping young man. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Now that gives you some idea of David's standing in the family. You know, it was the young kids or the old men or the trusted slave servants that looked after the sheep. They, it was an apprenticeship for growing up. They were the, you know, they were the kids. They were the lowest of the low. And so Jesse hadn't even bothered to call him to the feast. He was just the young and the runt of the pack or something like that. Anyway, he said, there is still the youngest. Jesse answered, he is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and he had him brought in. And he was glowing with health, no runt there. And had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. Wow. This is the one. 
Men look at outward appearances. God looks at the heart. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And Samuel then went on to Ramah. You know, we could spend a lot of time on that. I'm not going to. It's a great story. It's a great illustration of God working out how he sees us. You know, it's a wonderful way, a wonderful interpretive key to introduce what we're going to be sharing in the next few minutes. And at this point, I'm going to invite uh, Flissy, my lovely wife who jointly leads the church, and also Mark Bevis, our uh, chairman of the uh, board. Uh, Why don't we just give them a big round of applause as they come up here. Why don't you guys sort of sit there and just perch on that, whatever. Great, you all right, darling? You didn't get much sleep last night, did you, darling? No. (laughs) She was uh, all nervous about this. Right. Uh, Let's just check whether that's on. Uh, We'll just check. Let's just do this. Great. Okay. I'm going to introduce Mark in just a moment and then Felicity. But I want to just share something personal. You know, bless your hearts, you have been very kind to my wife and I over the last year or so as things have, have kind of um, really heated up. You've, you've kept asking how are we doing and that's a great question, you know, how are we doing? And I, Fliss says to me, don't ask me how I'm doing, I'll burst into tears, you know. <laughs> and I want to be honest with you, you know, I, I don't want to embarrass you and I don't want to embarrass myself but I've, I've generally said, you know, we're doing okay, it's, a bit, it's tough, you know, it's been a very full on year. We're pretty tired, but thank you for asking. Many of you have asked that question, and that's pretty much the answer I've given. I want to share a little bit more, a little bit more deeply now, because it is pertinent to the, the announcement that we're about to make. I had a dream probably uh, 30 years ago, maybe a bit more. And in this dream, uh, I was walking down a long corridor and I suddenly took a little turn to the right and there in this corridor in front of me was an angel with five children. An angel with five children. Well, we had four children at that point and, uh, and in the dream I thought, oh, five, that's strange. Have I miscounted or something? Anyway, when I came around, I realized that the Lord was showing me something and uh, I told the dream to Flissy because it seemed significant. And... Uh, And it was significant because actually we had made a decision before the Lord and the medical teams that, you know, the doctors had made us, had helped us with that decision that we should not try for any more children after four. And so there was this fifth child. And so we had a bit of a conversation at the time. It wasn't a burning issue. It was felt like something in the future. But it was kind of like, do we adopt or what do we do or how does that work? You know, that was weird. Five kids. Scroll forward. Scroll forward. We started planting this church and at this point, the church is about 200 strong, and we're meeting at Stag School. And at that point, you know, it was a very, very exciting time up at Stag's, wasn't it? God did lots of things for us when we were up at St. Albans Girls' School, using that as our facility. But I remember one morning, 
Um, it wasn't like this every morning, but a lot of mornings it was. I was up before seven and I went to get the tower truck. All of our church equipment went into this big towing van. And I towed it up to the school, and then I unpacked all the sound system, and then I put all the sound system up and, and, and uh, got that all set up and ready, just as the worship team came in to begin their sound check, and the you know, various children's workers and refreshment team arrived. By that time, typically I was dripping with sweat and energized and all the rest of it. I would charge home to our house up in the center of town. We had a house up there. And then I'd have a shower. And then I'd have about 10 minutes just to sit. So I ate my breakfast quietly, just getting my head into the sermon I was going to preach. And then we'd all you know, herd our, our kids, our four kids, into the, the big old Volvo car we had at the time. And then we would... Uh, you know, get them in all off to church, and, and then I would lead the service, and sometimes I even led worship. I wasn't leading worship this morning. And then I would preach, and then I'd strip everything down and put it back in the tower van and take it back to where it was kept, and at about two, two, three o'clock, something like that, in the afternoon, I'd finally get home and collapse. Well, on this morning, there'd been a lot of stuff going on. The collapse came a bit, a bit earlier. We got into the worship, and about, third, about the second song in, I suddenly felt overwhelmingly tired. And I knelt down, as I often do. And to most people, they've just observed me kneeling, which was not uncommon. But I, I, I actually was just exhausted. A profoundness of tiredness and exhaustion. And we were worried about financial issues, and stuff was going on. And I just knelt there before the Lord, and I just said, Oh, God, I don't know how I can do this anymore. I am absolutely beat. And at that point, the Lord spoke to me very clearly. He said, just listen. And I was kind of thinking, oh, a prophetic word. Go to China, my son. No, not that word. Uh, uh, go, to, go to the Cotswolds, my son. I don't want that word, you know. And then the Lord spoke to me and said, listen, just listen. You're not listening, listen. So I listened, I really listened. And I heard a church in worship. And I wasn't up the front punching the air and going for it. It was a church in worship. And then the Lord said, that's our baby. That's our baby our fifth child. So this, this church has been like a child for us. Fliss has had many, many prophetic dreams over the years, haven't you, darling, about children. Whenever we were going through a tough time or a big thing, you'd have dreams about rushing around trying to find nappies, usually it was, wasn't it? <laughs> lots, of, lots of cleaning up to do, messes, you know. We were, that's been our life, cleaning up messes, you know. And, but now... We come here and we worship with you guys. The last 10 years have been tremendous fun, really. I mean, knackering, if you excuse the expression. But look at you. Look at the church. You're all grown up. You're all grown up. Just like some of you folks have been taking your, your teenage children to uni and driving up to Leeds and York and wherever and taking them all there. And you kind of... You know, they're trying to be a bit cool and indifferent and you're sort of fretting and wondering and say, did you remember to bring Teddy with you? I'll put him in the post. You know. And they just look embarrassed, you know. But you're all grown up. And so in the last couple of years, it's been a little bit like, uh, you know, young men turning up the door. I've got three daughters. I know all about young men turning up the door saying, is Noelle in? You know, 
There weren't many of them I liked, I have to say, you know. <laughs> no, she isn't. What do you want to do about it? <laughs> so they've been kind of turning up. And you get to the point when you realize you can't just guard the gate all the time. You can't hold on to her. She's growing up. You're growing up. Look at you. You've come of age. And then one day someone turns up. And you think, eh, you might just do, I suppose. <laughs> and I just have to say to you that as we've gone through this quest, we've seen some very fine young men and women. But Fliss and I, at this point now, are greatly comforted, are so excited and so profoundly grateful to God that he has called Mark Helvagian to be our next senior pastor. Come and join us, guys. and hollering and please do sit thank you so much I, I actually put it in the script it says uh, wait for whooping stomping and hollering to die down <laughs> it's actually there isn't it guys we're gonna hear from Mark in just a moment I want to say something just to be clear right at the beginning uh, you know Mark and Steph Bless them, we've, we've got to know them very well, Fliss and myself, over the last five years. Fliss and I have always felt called to jointly lead the church. Mark and Steph, it's slightly different. Mark feels, and we agree, a, a tremendous sense of call to lead the church. Uh, Steph, you are going to let him get on with it while you pursue the ministry that God's giving you and support him up to the absolute hill. Just, just wanted to be clear on that because, you know, sometimes uh, you know, people expect an awful lot from, from senior pastors, but slightly different for you guys. Anyway, I, without further ado, I want to introduce Mark Bevis now, who's chair of our, our board, and, and he's going to tell you a little bit about the process by which we got to this point in time. Thank you, Mark. Good morning, everyone. So uh, we thought it'd be helpful uh, for me just to explain a bit about the process of, the, of how we've come to this point. So this is about the how. And as Chris uh, mentioned uh, earlier, this started about two and a half years ago. We started to have discussions as a board, a board of trustees, directors, with Chris and Fliss uh, about their plans for retirement and the succession planning. And I do just want to take this opportunity to really thank uh, Chris and Fliss for their generosity and graciousness in doing that because it's one thing to plan for your own retirement and to sort of work through all that sort of stuff and plan what you're going to do and all the emotional, uh, uh, I guess, detachment and all, all that sort of stuff. But in addition to all that, Chris and Fliss have really engaged with this process and helped us and been a great support to, to the board. So thank you both. 
the first thing we, we did was we decided to set up a second uh, board or group, succession planning group, uh, which consisted of the, the trustees, directors, Chris and Fliss, obviously, uh, and also Jill Yon, our business manager and company secretary. And we also invited uh, Steve Burnhope, who some of you may know from uh, Aylesbury uh, Vineyard. We wanted to have an external sort of wise head uh, to also input into the process. And he was uh, absolutely fantastic, really just offered some uh, extra wisdom and counsel and was invaluable. So that was our, our succession uh, group. And we then really followed a fairly conventional process for, um, I suppose, a major appointment of this nature. Um, uh, so we, we set about drawing up a job specification. Chris did uh, some work on that, and, and we all had some input into that. And then we drew up our, our person spec, or person specification. So that's the, that's the bit where uh, you know, we're, we're looking for this, this ideal person that may or may not exist, um, as Chris has already alluded to. And uh, we drew up all our criteria, uh, so we could uh, judge all the applications uh, against those criteria. So, so far, so, so, so conventional. Uh, we then advertised the post widely uh, in Vineyard, uh, nationally and internationally, and some other um, uh, platforms as well, such as Evangelical Alliance. And we had a really good response. We had over 20 applicants. So uh, we then uh, looked through those applicants, uh, studied them, uh, judged them against our criteria, and we whittled it down to three, uh, three remaining candidates who we thought uh, we wanted to take forward to the interview stage. So I'm just going to grab some water. Yeah. I was at a 30-year medical school reunion last night, and my, my voice is a bit strained, um, and I couldn't resist joining in that wonderful worship, so, so I'm just a bit hoarse. So we had our three candidates, um, all, of, all of whom looked uh, pretty strong, on paper at least. Uh, two of those were based in the US. One of them we were able to get over uh, and sort of meet with him face to face. The other one we did a Skype interview. Um, and uh, they certainly had some, uh, you know, some positive attributes, but ultimately we felt that uh, they weren't, either of them weren't, weren't really the right fit for us. I think we had concerns about the cultural differences, particularly um, other issues such as transferring family across. And we just felt, we, we all felt really that, um, that neither of them were the right person to take any further. Uh, that left one remaining candidate who was from a uh, UK-based within the Vineyard uh, movement, uh, came as actually a couple. And, and with them, we, we, we met with them on a number of occasions, actually. They came and met with our staff. And uh, that really seemed to be going well. We, we, we felt that, uh, that they, they could be the ones. Uh, at which point, we were on the point, really, of, uh, of making a formal offer to them, and uh, they uh, then withdrew and said that they felt God was actually calling them to stay and remain in their own church. Well, we were delighted for them, uh, but that left us with no remaining uh, viable candidates, it would seem. So we were scratching our heads a bit. And the interesting thing at that moment, having gone through all this process and uh, you know, followed it very diligently, was that uh, we all just had a sense of God just saying, pause, wait, uh, be still. Uh, and it was very interesting because there was no sense of panic or well, what are we going to do. We, we, we 
obviously needed to think about a plan B, and so we put some uh, steps in, in, in process to, 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 to do that. Because uh, it was quite clear by this point, this, this is early this year, uh, about six months ago, when Chris and Fliss were, you know, were and are leaving uh, on the 30th of September. And it was around that time, well, it was at that time, really, that Mark then uh, came to the board. Mark himself is, uh, is, is, is on the board, is a trustee director, and declared his candidacy. Now, we were aware that God had been speaking to uh, Mark's life and calling him to ministry and staff, and, and, and we'd had some conversations, but this was now him really coming forward and declaring that he felt... Uh, he really felt that it was right for him to apply. So at that point, uh, obviously, we had to take Mark off the uh, succession board. Um, there's an obvious conflict of interest there. It's not rocking science. Um, but uh, you know, just on that issue, I just want to sort of uh, uh, pause on, on that point, conflict of interest. It isn't wrong to have conflicts of interest. Um, many of you, I'm sure, will, will, be, will work in spheres, uh, as I do in medicine, where, where this occurs all the time, the important thing is to acknowledge it and then manage it and do something about it. So uh, we did that. Mark obviously willingly stepped down. Um, we then interviewed Mark and uh, we then judged his application, if you like, in exactly the same way. We looked at the criteria that we had and <clears throat> what we found there was that Mark had a lot of really... Uh, really good attributes and ticked a lot of the boxes, if that's not being too flippant. Um, Mark, is, is, we know him from preaching, he's been involved in leadership, he's been involved in, a, in quite a, a significant and amazing number of ministries in the church in his time here, which says a lot in itself. And we know him, uh, we've we worked with him, we've seen him up close, we uh, we, we've seen what he can do, uh, and more than that, we, 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 can, we can see what, what he can do and what the Lord can continue to do through him. So uh, we, uh, uh, we felt it was, we wanted to make him uh, an offer uh, of a senior pastor role here. We then uh, went uh, to a number of members of the church. It was always our intention to get some further input into the process from, from the wider church. So a number of you were, were contacted at this point in confidence, obviously, and we just asked for some feedback. And that was, that was really quite overwhelming. It was, it, it was so positive. Um, you know, the, the, the words and encouragement and affirmation, really, that we had back uh, about the, uh, the prospect of Mark being seen the pastor. So with that in mind, we therefore made him a formal offer, and I'm delighted to say he's accepted. Um, and just as a final um, sort of note of ratification, um, we have been in contact with Vineyard Churches UK, with Jeremy Cook, who's the chair of uh, VCUK. They've ha looked at our whole, whole process uh, and in fact have complimented it on being very thorough, very diligent, and they're very happy with, with the decision we've come to. And they do have a, a, a process which... Um, they need to go through to sort of ratify Mark's appointment as well. But certainly verbally, um, you know, we've had that sort of positive feedback from, from, them, from them as well. So that's really, that's really the, the, the process. The, um, the other important bit in this is, is how God has been speaking to us. I've alluded to that um, 
in one or two points. But I'm going to hand over to Fliss now, who's going to talk a little bit more about how God has been speaking uh, to us about, uh, about Mark and Steph um, along the way. So, Fliss, over to you. Okay, well, you've heard all about the process. You've heard the announcement. Um, and I'm only going to take five minutes before I let you hear from Mark. Um, we are, as Chris said earlier, we are so excited and grateful to God that he has revealed his plan. Because there were moments where we were really thinking, well, what is happening? Who is going to take over? And we had all these interviews and, um, you know, we got sort of a bit excited and then we were let down and, and we just all the time were saying, what are you doing, God? You know, it's like, who have you got for us? We know you're a faithful God. There must be someone out there. And um, way back when Mark first came on staff as an intern um, and then a lay pastor, it, even then we, we sort of thought, is, you know, could he be somebody who would be the one to take over when we retire? Because this was a few years ago. And, um, you know, we could see his giftedness. We could see his heart for God. We could see his sense of call and vision um, for uh, pastoral ministry and just full-time ministry in the church. We could see all of that. And we thought, wow, this this guy might be the one. And... Um, we were praying all the time, you know, just show us. And we, we sort of watched. We kind of took our time and watched. And, and as Mark preached, we would see how you guys responded to him and how, how you responded so well. And that was really encouraging. But at the same time, we were having this um, sort of uh, interview process with um, people, you know, after the advertisements. And so... We were a bit perplexed. We were like, well, we must have got, got that wrong, you know. And he's, he's got all these businesses, you know, he owns. And, um, and just about the time when we thought we were, maybe it is him, he went and started another business. <laughs> so <laughs> so, so we, we thought, oh, we've definitely got it wrong then. You know, he's going more into, into business. So, um, so scroll forward to the advertising and everything. Um, we, had, we had got to the end of the process where we, we'd interviewed um, these three sort of finalists and uh, nothing, you know, none of them were right and we just said, Lord, what, what's happening here? And we had Mark in the back of our minds all the time um, and, but he wasn't available. But it was as though... At, at this point, and it was about June, July time, it was as though God suddenly intervened and made Mark available because his businesses were, he was closing up his businesses. We didn't know it, but God was speaking to him and Steph about, about all of this. And um, so we were like, oh, are you going to apply then? You know, and of course he did. So um, anyway, I, I just want to say also... Um, Mark, Mark Bevis said how much he's done in the church that you might not know about, apart from his preaching. And um, I, I just wanted to, to tell you, because I think it's worth knowing, it's worth you knowing, 
um, how much he's, he's been doing over the last few years. Uh, he's been involved in Alpha, and the prayer team, and a group leader and a speaker all that time, and still is a speaker there. He's a ministry team member. He's led the Sunday refreshments teams. And as an intern, he covered various projects. One of them was a Connect Group strategic review and relaunch, which you may remember, actually, at the time. Um, he also did a complete admin review of our office structure and procedures. He was instrumental in the strategic change that turned our essential courses into equip. Some of you will remember essential. Um, and at the Vineyard National Leaders Conference, he spoke with Chris on the subject of culture. He also worked with Chris and team to facilitate the Vineyard Large Church Forum, which was, was held here, um, speaking on growth and strategy. He's led and taught on various equipped courses, been part of teams, helped write content, led teams, been part of various teams at the Global Leadership Summit, as a lay pastor here, he met weekly with the pastoral teams uh, and he was part of the small ministry teams and he's given ad hoc operational support, um, providing assistance to staff and team members. So not only is Mark a regular preacher here, he has, he's written a, num a number of sermon series for the team as well and he's planned and led the monthly prayer meetings that um, some of you will know because you've been to, but not all of you have. So call to prayer, breakthrough. Month by month, he's been leading those. And he serves as, served as a director and trustee. Phew. <laughs> you know, I think that really just shows you the breadth of the things that he's been involved in in church. And, um, and it's really helpful to know, because you, you wouldn't have known any of that. And in, in hindsight, when we look at that, you know, we think, well, if we had tried to design um, an apprenticeship or a training course for somebody who was sort of coming up to taking on senior pastor role, we couldn't have done a better one. You know, God was already doing it and he, uh, without us asking. <laughs> How can he do that? <laughs> God can do what he likes. But, you know, um, we do really believe God has been preparing Mark through all of this uh, for such a time and place as this, and that he is the David, our David. And we're so grateful that God has guided us, and he's given us so much confirmation. He's given us prophetic words, dreams, scriptures, and just that peace of God in our hearts that, that we need. And knowing all of this has been God's plan um, means we can hand over the church, we feel we can hand over the church with confidence and faith, God does know what he's doing. It's, it's his church after all. We've just been pointing your, you guys all to Jesus. And if he wants to put Mark in place, then I believe he's going he's gonna to do it. He's, and Mark's going to continue to point you all to Jesus. And I think we're going to see amazing things happening. This is an exciting time to be in the church. So there you go. Let me invite Mark to share some of his story. Thank you. Wow. Bless you all. I must say I'd much rather be preaching than talking about myself, quite frankly. <laughs> this is so humbling, but thank you. Um, 
Yeah, I'm going to just talk a little bit in terms of how my story weaves into all of this, because clearly you don't wake up one day and say, oh, I think I'll be a senior pastor. <laughs> you know, God works in your heart for, a, for, a, for a, a number of years. And, you know, I'm blessed to grow up in a Christian family. My paternal grandfather was a pastor, my parents in church leadership, and from a very early age, been part of different ministry teams. And I remember that first, if you like, stirring of a call to full-time ministry. I was 16 with a jazz band from the US, an evangelistic group in the Edinburgh Festival. And by day we would play our instruments and talk about Jesus and by night do concerts. And it was then really that I remember my first stirring to say, wow, could I possibly do this? Could this possibly be what you've got for me, Lord? But you know, life kicks in, did my A-levels, went to university, backslid, came back to the Lord. And once again, that stirring came. I thought, well, I'd much be rather studying the word than marketing economics. Um, but God has a plan. So I came out of that. Uh, came into work, um, part of a healing and, and um, deliverance ministry. I was worship leader for that, got trained in that ministry. And then um, moved to St. Barnabas in North Finchley. I know there's some ex-St. B's here. Is that the batons over I can see waving? And uh, joined the ministry teams there and worship leader. And one amazing thing happened. I met my beautiful wife, Stephanie. Here she is. Gorgeous woman. Beautiful. And, um, you know, we went to my auntie's church, we just got married, and we sat at the back because a prophet had come into town and he was doing a message. So we hid, you know, when you do that, don't speak to me. Well, guess what happened? He came and spoke to us, found us out, and he said to me, God's got a prophetic word on your lips for his church. I was like, oh boy, that's deep. And uh, he, had a, he had a word as well, a beautiful word for Steph. And there was that stirring again. We knew it was only, uh, only a matter of time. And then what Steph and I did, we prayed the most dangerous prayer you could ever pray. Lord, do with us what you want. Take us anywhere, do anything. If you say it with sincerity of heart, he'll say, okay. And so God duly answered with a matter of about a year. He said, you're going to Australia. All right, off we go. And so into Australia with Yahoo, the, my company then. And then God stirred us again. He gave me a business idea. Um, and I won't go into the detail of it now. Plenty of time for stories, by the way. <laughs> and um, God said, I want you to leave Yahoo and go and set this up. And um, we said, okay, and we obeyed and we moved. And one of those moments where you'd say yes to God. And that was amazing. It took off and we had huge success. But there was something in my heart again. And I remember crying out to God, Lord, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tent of the wicked. There was just this stirring in me. And I thought that maybe this was a time we were part of a Pentecostal church in Australia, part of the worship team there and part of leadership. But God stirred our hearts and he moved us back here. And then we arrived here in November 2012. And then we came here January 2013 to the vineyard. And it felt like coming home. You know, I've been in a Baptist church, a Pentecostal, a charismatic CV. I've been in many denominations, but it felt as if coming here was all the best bits of everything in one place. The values were ours, the theology was ours, the expression of church was ours. And very quickly, you know, God opened doors in this place. And I just want to share very quickly some of these. We haven't got time for all the stories. But, you know, I remember one moment uh, I was walking through those doors over in the balcony one day. It was in the afternoon and it was empty in here. And all of a sudden, as I looked at these empty seats, I had a wave of love for you guys. I can't describe it. For every person that seat represented. And I, and I said, Lord, what is that? And it was just a shepherd heart. And from that moment on, I've just prayed for you guys and been on my knees and weep for you guys. Just a sense of love that I know can only come from God. And that same year, I was in an equip course and we were doing about giftings and we're encouraged to say, Lord, what's, what gift have you got for me? 
And I was, I was closing my eyes and I had a picture of me on top of a, a mountain. And down below was thousands of people. And I knew it meant that God was calling me to lead this people. And I said, oh, Lord, I can't do it. And Jesus was next to me. He said, Mark, the moment I call you, I'll equip you for such a time as that. And then that same year, we had a friend who's a pastor in Canada who had just changed at Beth, uh, trained at Bethel in Red and came over. He said, Mark, Lord, give me a word for you. He said, you're going to lead, lead a, a movement of people. And one other, one other word I want to share with you. We were in a church planting course. It was the following year. And in the church that we, that we the vineyard were running, and someone had a word for me, and she said, God is going to give you a church, which is a bit of a strange word when you're in a church planting course, <laughs> but it was very specific. <laughs> anyway, fast forward, you know, I was in business, sold the business in 2016, and I asked, Lord, what have you got for me now? And there were no doors open for ministry at that point, and I was, had a picture, Lord gave me very strong, that I was walking with the Father, hand in hand, and we went to a playground, but there was no, no uh, swings or slides or climbing frames in there, and God said, you go build what you want, and I'll sit down and wait for you. And in the corner was all, all the tools and all the resources I would need. And for me, that was confirmation that God said, right, you go ahead and do, it, do another business. And I did. Okay, so fast forward as I did that, you know, part of the succession planning for two years, my, I, I, you know, I was focused on that new business that I had set up. And certainly, as we said, we had su- such a strong candidates uh, and, I, and, you know, we were about to make an offer. And so I, th- this was not in my mind, but things accelerated. And when we found ourselves with no candidate, it felt like that David word, you know, that Saul said, well, who's going to wear the armor? And all of a sudden, we felt, as Steph and I prayed and sought godly counsel, that it that indeed could be us. And so, but we had found ourselves in a position where we were raising capital for this business. And we said, well, Lord, we feel like we're in a bit of an accidental fleece here because it's up to you. You know, I've committed to this path. If we raise the capital, then we'll go down that path. But if we don't and this door opens, we'll go down there. And we had to wait for two months. And as I was waiting, I just want to share this briefly in the next two minutes or so. You know, God impressed on me. I asked the question, Lord... I see it that it could be David, but I asked the question, why David? And God reminded me of two scriptures. The first one was Acts 13.22, says this, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Because David's vision, you see, aligned with God's. And then a friend gave me this scripture, Psalm 78.70-72, I think it'll be on the screen. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pens out of business. And David led Israel with the integrity of his heart and with the skill of his hand. And so I started asking God, okay, what have you placed in my heart? And all of a sudden, God started pouring vision into my heart for his kingdom and for this place and for each one of us. And God gave me this picture and he gave me this word. He said, Mark, the depths of the foundation dictate the height of the building. And what's true in the natural is true in the spiritual. Let us look around. There is no surprise that we are who we are the size and the influence that we are because the love and the sacrifice and the passion that Chris and Fliss have sown into this ministry, the depth of foundation. But here's the thing, there is way more to come. Why? The conviction is we are in the last days, guys. Do you feel it in your spirit? We're in the final hours and God is calling his church to rise up and to bring glory to Jesus and to save a lost nation and a lost world. And we have a part to play. We should never be comfortable in these pews that we don't go and proclaim the saving grace of Jesus. And so as it burnt in me, the second question was, okay, that's my heart, but what about my hands? And as I took stock of my life and looked back, I could see that it was an amazing two tracks of apprenticeship 
one in ministry, you know, being part of so many churches and part of ministry teams and all that stuff. And as Fliss has shared within this church here. But also in business, growing large teams, large budgets, managing lots of people, scaling organizations. You know, we are the size that is important. But as we grow, it's going to become even more important as we think about being faithful stewards and being diligent with what he's given us. And so all of a sudden, I said, yes, I can see it, Lord. I can see why I'm that David. But then I had to wait to see what happened with the fleece. And guess what happened? We didn't raise a thing. And people were, to quote them, beyond baffled as to why, because the business is going amazing. But in that moment, I'm going to share this last picture. All of a sudden, during this period, I knew this was going to happen because God gave me a picture. I was back in the playground, and the father was on the bench, and here I was building this climbing frame. And it was almost finished. And I was at the top, and I was about to put the last piece on. And the father got up and walked over and said, Are you ready? Shall we go now? I said, yeah, let's go, and I dropped it. Why? Because when Jesus says, drop your nets, you say yes. You say yes. And that's what Steph and I are doing on this. We've been obedient, and we've had these moments in our whole lives where God has called us to do something. We've said yes. And so this is a step of faith, knowing that God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the call. Thank God. Thank, good, God, good. Thank God for that. <laughs> Lastly, I'm going to end with this and then hand over to Chris, you know. At the very start, in 2013, God, I went away and fasted for a few days when I just sold my, my other company. And this was 2013. I was sitting at the back over there near where Larry is, actually. Hello, Larry. And um, at the end of the service, God said, right, I want you to go up and speak to Chris. And this was the first time I've ever met Chris. And I came up and I said, hello, Chris. Rather nervous. Um, I feel God's calling me out of business um, and, and into ministry. He said... That's fantastic. Listen, I'm just about to go on holiday. This was about early summer. Send me an email, and when, when, you get, when I get back, let's meet. And so we, we, we did that. But while I was waiting for the space of about four days, God gave me a picture. This is back in 2013. And the picture was me in a room, sitting on a chair, and Chris came over and gave me a key. And this was four days, very powerful picture. And I knew what it meant. But, you know, you think, well, that's just probably my imagination. What, don't, what are you thinking? But you know what's interesting? God said, I don't want you to share that picture with anyone, not even Steph, not until it comes to pass. And I've been carrying that thinking, well, was it God? Was it me? And so when the board offered me the role, I then called Chris and Fliss, and I shared that picture, that story with you, Chris, didn't I? Maybe I'll hand over to you. Just... Let's have the worship team back up because we need to finish with worship, I think, after all of this. So uh, my little story to round off is that in May of 2017, um, I suddenly was thinking and imagining what the ending might look like. And I found myself thinking about the imagery that we've used during this process, about handing on a baton. You know, I, well, some people have said to me, you know, you never retire in the kingdom. You know, what's this retirement gig? And I totally agree with you. Fliss and I don't expect to be sitting beside a swimming pool somewhere drinking pina colada for the next 30 odd years. We expect to be ministering. It's just the end of a chapter for us. But we did feel that Lord was saying, I want you to be running at full tilt and hand the baton on 
to your successor who will run at full tilt. There would be no sort of, you know, sad winding down with me coming onto the platform with a Zimmer frame and, <laughs> and getting confused and getting tangled with wires. Um, it was going to be a slick, smooth handover. <clears throat> and uh, anyway, so I was thinking about that, this baton thing, and I uh, suddenly got into my head, I thought, I must go down to the sports shop and buy a, you know, buy a baton to hand on to the next guy. And this is where the Lord spoke very clearly. He said, don't. Buy a key. <laughs> buy a key. And I said, really? But I've been talking about baton. He said, buy a key. So where do you go when you want to buy a key? And I had this image in my mind of a great big key. I went on eBay, of course. <laughs> and I bought a really big key. It's the key of a French chateau. That's how big it is. It's about eight inches long, something like that. But what really struck me was on the kind of business end, you know, the key bit, the actual lock thing was an upside-down cross. That is St. Peter's cross. And St. Peter was entrusted with the church. And so I bought this thing. And if you've been in my study, you'll know it hangs on the wall, and I call it the founder's key. And the Lord just told me, you will give that to your successor. Trust me. And so when you marry that little witness to the story that Mark has just told us about seeing me coming across and giving a key, then I find that for me, on top of everything else, that's very confirming. Let's just stand and pray. Now, just so that you know what's going to be happening, we actually, at the, begin, the first service in 2019, that's when we will be handing over to Mark and staff, but, you know, well, you know what I mean. And that's when I will be, we'll be praying for them and giving them a key. Uh, as I think many of you know, Fliss and I intend to stay on the church. We are stepping down from senior pastor role, and we are retiring, but we want to stay in the church. I have a number of duties that the board have charged me with, so you will see us. We will be involved, but the actual physical handover will be the beginning of January. But let's just pray now for God's blessing on this auspicious moment. This is a historic moment, and you were there.